Hey, buddy, uh, welcome to Flatirons, and I know that, that we're not meeting live uh, today. We're kind of spread across the whole planet because of this big freak snowstorm in, in Colorado. But hey, before we get into this, first of all, I just wanna call out the song uh, that Lindsay just did, uh, Dri- Driver's License. A, a few weeks ago when, they, when the team brought me that song, I'm like, I don't know what that song has to do with anything. I mean, it's beautiful. Lindsay did a great job on it. We had cool laser lights, and every church should have cool laser lights. I think it was in the Bible or something like that. But the, the, more I, the more I listen to that song, actually that song, and you can go back and listen to it uh, yourself sometime, but that song, the lyrics of it actually tie in exactly with this series that we've been in because that song is about a person who had great plans for their life and they, they thought they knew where their life was going and then uh, kind of took a wrong turn and now they're kind of left trying to pick up the pieces and they don't know what their life's gonna look like. And that's kind of what we've been unpacking about our, our own stories and our own storylines. And that's what we're gonna pick up. Today we're gonna, we're gonna work through this storyline theme where we are looking at why Jesus said that he came and what he is offering us when we choose him as like the directional or defining voice in our lives. See, Jesus said that if you listen to or, or give the wrong voice authority in your life, your life will be described with words like, like uh, stolen, ripped off, dead, destroyed, lost, Jesus said, however, that he came that we may have life, and he said, not just life, but have it abundantly. Jesus promised that if we will link up and follow him, our storyline can be described with words like, well, he's not saying like easy or problem-free or every day is sunshine and unicorns. No, listen, Jesus is not promising that if you put your faith in him and promise him, uh, uh, like follow him, that he'll put some like magic Jesus bubble around your life and all your problems will go away. That's not in the Bible. He didn't say that. He promises that no matter what happens in your storyline, good or bad, to you or those around you, in spite of your own sins and mistakes or the sins and mistakes of other people that fall on you, in spite of your circumstances, good or bad, he says if your storyline, your life connects to Jesus, your your story, your life will be described with words like, like abundant, like great, like my life is significant, it's it's more than average, it's more than normal. So, so here's what we've covered in this whole storyline series so far. First of all, everybody must have, you must know you're like your compelling vision for your life. It's the why, the why as to why you're here, why you exist, like the most important purpose for your life that God has given to you. You have to know what that is. You gotta figure that out. And then it must be supported with a, a relentless conviction, a no matter what happens, I will hang on to and I'll believe that what God has said and promised about me is true and is still true. And then it must lead to courageous action. I mean, it has to start in your head. You gotta think about stuff and rethink stuff. It has to start in your heart, but it, but it must lead you to get up off the couch and start doing new and different things so that you can experience new and different, by that I mean better, more abundant results in your life, up to and including, I gotta get off the couch and go to war and fight for the most important parts and people in my life of my vision. And then last week, Here's what we covered. You, you must do all that. You must operate your entire life out of what we call anointed authority that Jesus has given to you, which flows out of your connection to him, your calling from him, and your commission by him to go and be his man or his woman to do what he has told you to go and do. And we have to remember that as we go and do that, we are operating like not in our own agenda, but as an extension of or representative of the one who called us and sent us to do it. Again, not on our own, not pursuing what we want to do. We're on a mission from God, a compelling vision. And we've covered what and why we need to do, why we need to do. 
But today, here's what I want to cover. I want to cover how. How are we going to do it? And we're not going to get into the, the operational mechanics of what you need to do to fight for your life, your marriage, your family, your kids, your parents, your friendship, your sobriety, your financial health, fill in the blank. I mean, we're going to touch on some ideas of that, but, but I, I believe God's going to have to tell you what you need to do about that part of your life. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the mindset of whatever you need to get up and go do Whoever and whatever that might be, no matter what's going on, going on in your life, you're gonna have to approach it with a mindset. It's the same mindset as the one who sent you to do it, Jesus. And the phrase that would describe most everything that Jesus did was he did it with confident humility. We have to have confident humility. I wanna look at that. Now, when I say confident humility, I just want you, first of all, just take a breath, all right? Because we're gonna unpack that because every time, well, most of the time when I hear someone say like the word you need to be, be humble or I see the word humility, my brain immediately goes to, you mean like wimpy or weak or quiet, that person you know, in every room or every conversation that gets run over? Is that what you mean by be humble? I mean, there's a reason that people say stuff like he's as humble as a church mouse, right? They don't say he's as humble as a lion and I get it. Right? If, if you're gonna go to war for good things to happen in your life, it just seems like you might wanna be more like a lion than a mouse, right? A lion gets stuff done. Okay, but whatever you're thinking about when you hear the word humble, I just want you to just kind of set that to the side. All right, let's define some terms real quick. So confident, what do we mean when we say confident? Confidence is assurance that something is true and will happen, and you have nothing to prove because I'm confident in it. No need to defend or get defensive because you know what God has said is true and needs to happen and you're gonna do it. It's this unwavering confidence. The opposite would be insecure, afraid. I, I'm not sure, but we're confident. And when you put that with this, we have the word humility, all right? And we covered this a, a few months ago when we looked at, at like what needs to happen to God's people when God's people want God to get involved in healing up our land. It says that if my people will humble themselves, which means this, we have to let go of self-serving power and position in order to leverage our power and position for the benefit of something good or for someone else. And by that, it's like, like whatever courageous action that needs to take place, we have to do it from that standpoint. If it comes from Jesus, the one who's sending you to go do it, it will be for the good or, or the benefit of something or someone else, right? What he wants done in their life. And then when you put that together, confident humility means because you are confident in who you are and who Jesus says that you are and what he's told you to do, you're confident. You're gonna go do it. And you're gonna do it in a way that the outcome agrees with the good that Jesus wants for a person in that circumstance. I'm confident, so I'm gonna do what needs to be done. Now, so what does that look like? What does that look like? So here's what I want you to do, just to start thinking like this. Sorry, I want you to just kind of pick out like a hypothetical scenario. I want you to kind of invent a hypothetical person that is on this planet that that person has so much power, such a high position, such great authority that this person, he or she, can do anything they want. Nobody can stop them. They can buy anything they wanna buy. Anything they want to happen, they just make it happen, all right? They are, they're in charge. Maybe it's a president. Maybe it's a king or a queen. Maybe it's like a mega rich billionaire and, and they just, they have the power. All right, got, got that in mind? Great, listen. Whatever or whoever you're thinking of, Jesus had it more. 
He had it more. Look at this. This is, this is from a little book of the Bible called the book of Philippians. And it, and it says this. So have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, so it starts with this. If you're gonna go on mission with God, I have this, you know, this vision for my life, and I'm gonna go do something with God. In order to pursue that compelling vision and that abundant life, what it's saying is you gotta think like this. Like what? Have this mind that's in your Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was, look at this, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So let's just stop right there. Let's go back just a minute ago, right? Whoever or whatever you, you were thinking of earlier about the most important, most powerful position or person in the world, whoever that was, Jesus beats it. Jesus wins. What do you mean? Because he's God, right? Keep, keep, keep going. And we're gonna watch how Jesus leverages his, his God power position for us. All right, still talking. This is still talking about Jesus. Jesus emptied himself of that God by, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men or humans, all right? And being found in human form, he, there it is, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not just death, even death on a cross. And here's what happens next. Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, on Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, you gotta follow me here, okay? If we're gonna go and represent what Jesus wants done, we've gotta look at him. And Jesus had a compelling vision. What was it? He would glorify, he would show the world how good his father God was by removing the sin and condemnation that separated us from God. That was his compelling vision for us. Jesus had a relentless conviction. He knew who he was because he kept going back to what God said was true about him and what God had told him to do. And no temptation could, could cause him to let go of that. Jesus took courageous action. He temporarily, this is huge, he let go of his power position in heaven he emptied himself and became one of us, just a normal guy. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Why? In order to do what needed to be done to accomplish that compelling vision. And Jesus did it all because his father anointed him, sent him, and then gave him the authority to do it. Which is why confident, humble Jesus isn't thought of or known as weak as a church mouse. No, he's, he's, in the Bible, he's called the Lion, the Lion of Judah, right? And his name is the name above every other name that has ever been given or ever been uttered on this planet because he's God. See, see when, you, when you have confidence in who you are and who you're connected to and, and sent by and what God has told you to do, then God is ultimately, this kind of clicks, then whatever God sends you to do, God's the one who's actually gonna do it. And, and, and our job in that, of that equation isn't to defend it or, or even like all parts of it or even enjoy every minute of, of, of pursuing God's mission. Jesus didn't. Some of it's just hard. See, your job, my job, is simply to humble ourselves, let go of our own agenda, and be obedient to what God has told you to do. And the rest is up to him. See, here, here's the arguments that come, at least come up in my head but I don't get it, I don't understand, all right? If I do it, what God's telling me to do, I don't understand how his way, I don't understand how it will work, and I get it. 
which is why a lot of the people around Jesus, they didn't get it either. Like they're going to Jerusalem. He says, we're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be crucified on a cross. And the whole walk there, they're arguing with him. That's not a good idea. It's not a good plan. Look, 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 look at this, okay? So, so they're trying to understand what, what Jesus is thinking. Look, look at this quote. It's from an old part of the Bible, book of Isaiah. This is actually God talking about the way he thinks. This is God. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's just like Bible language for, for this. Let me just throw this out and see if you agree with it, all right? If, if God really is God, just go with this, all right? Then he probably knows stuff that you and I don't know or have thought of because he's God. He has some thoughts, he has some knowledge, he has some information that we know nothing about, but he knows because he's God. Which means, yeah, I get, yeah, it would be nice on the front end to understand all of God's plans or his timeline. It would be great if God let us know up front what the outcome was gonna be and when it was gonna happen. And maybe, like occasionally, and I'd even say this, rarely, you might get that, very rarely. But we can't wait to, to go into like correct, courageous action mode until we have all the details and we, all, we have all the, know, the hows and whens all, all figured out. We can't wait for that. No, I, our part in God's mission to the world, our part is obedience, like the, the what and where. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to do it? Our part is the, like the mechanics. How do you want me to do it, God? And I'll do it that way. God's part is the results. He's in charge of that. I'm not. And for the impossible parts, God's part is the miraculous. That's not mine. That's his. And when we realize that, and we, and we, and we go in and engage in God, whatever mission God has given us, then we don't have to prove anything. We don't have to defend anything. We have confidence that if it's gonna happen, God's the one who's gonna make it happen. And our part is simply to show up and be obedient even if it means humbling ourselves and letting go of our own opinions and our own agendas. I'm gonna do what God tells me to do. Because let's be honest, if our opinions and our agendas were that great, we'd already have fixed whatever it is that's standing in the way of us experiencing an abundant life. We wouldn't need God, right? So maybe we ought to maybe lean in his direction. See, there, there'll be times when when God's gonna tell you something and you have to decide whether you're gonna do it or not and confident humility won't make sense. I mean, none, none of us, let's be honest, none of us would have written some of the storylines that you find in Jesus's life. I'll show you a few of them right now, okay? Like, like on the final meal that Jesus has with his 12 disciples, very, very famous scene in the Bible, he's with his 12 best friends and he's having dinner with them knowing that one of them, and he knows which one, is sitting next to him at the table, has already struck a deal to have him arrested later that night. That's who he's having dinner with. And another one would deny him three times before the, cru the, the rooster crows tomorrow morning and, and would deny I even know him, let alone he's one of my best friends. And by morning, everybody at the table would, would run and hide and leave him to fend for himself. And he's having dinner with these people. And then this happens. Look at this. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And right there you see vision, conviction, action, authority, confident. I know who I am, I know why I am here. Okay, all right, so because of that, he's able to do what happens next. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's humility, and here's what I mean by that. So in, in, in Middle Eastern times, in Jesus' day, uh, everybody wore sandals and, and, and they walked dirt streets where there were donkeys and camels. And everything. So when you showed up at somebody's house for dinner, your feet were a mess, which wasn't a big deal if, if you come to like a house in America. But, but back in Jesus' day, the tables were really low to the ground and you didn't sit in a chair. You actually sat on your side on a, on a pillow and your feet were in somebody else's face. And so when you would get to the house, like the, the lowest servant, like the, the, the lowest slave, would meet you at the door, you'd take your sandals off and they would scrub all the crap off of your feet. It was, a, it was the lowest job you could have. On the way to this dinner, the whole walk into town, there was an argument going on among Jesus' like, followers about like, who's the greatest. Like if Jesus becomes king, who's gonna be vice king? I bet it's me. No, I bet it's me. And they actually had to argue about who's the greatest. So when they got to dinner, nobody thought, maybe, maybe I should wash feet until Jesus stood up and did it. See, right before Jesus is arrested and executed, it's like he has one more thing he wants to teach them. It's the last thing he'll say to them until after his resurrection. He wants this to stick. This is what he does. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them, and the answer is no, they don't. You call me teacher and Lord, that's a big high power position, and rightly so, for that's, that's what I am. Here's the application. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now that I've showed you what confident humility looks like, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So in Jesus' story, confident humility looks like this. This is what he's trying to teach him. Because Jesus had confidence in who he was and why he was there, he could perform the lowest, like beneath his position job without hesitation to achieve a higher purpose, even when nobody understood why he was doing it. Even when other people should have done it, but, but they weren't about to do that. Jesus said, this is what it looks like. Now, we're gonna skip ahead a few hours in Jesus' storyline. It's the same night, and we're gonna look at what confident humility looks like demonstrated another way. They get up from dinner, they go outside, they go across the valley into this garden. The soldiers show up. Judas betrays him, they arrest him. Peter, by the way, is packing heat (laughs) under his robes. He pulls out a sword, he cuts off a dude's ear. Jesus puts it back on, it's a great story, right, right? And then Jesus says this, he says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to to Peter, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Look at this. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put, away, put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Do you, not, do you not think I can do that? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Now, again, I don't wanna rush past this. See, Jesus could have made this whole thing stop. He could have made it all go away if he chose to. He asked a question and he knew the answer to, to, to that question. Do, do you not know that I could like, Boom, 
pray one prayer, I can make one ask, and my Father will send 12 legions of angels. And we talked about legions last week. If you do the math from last week, that's 7,200 angels. Do you not know that if I just said one prayer, my Father would send 7,200 angels to defend me. And if you look at the old parts of the Bible, one angel wiped out an entire army. So yeah, Jesus could have made it stop. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, I think because he said it so quickly, when he's facing this hardship with the choice to quit or keep going, I think he had that, I think he had thought about it. This is gonna be really, really hard. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And all I have to do is call on my father and all of this stops. But if, but if I do that, if he did that, it would have caused his whole mission to fail. So not my will, but yours be done. Due to confident humility, Jesus says, I'm gonna keep going. Not because I have to, but because I choose, I'm gonna choose to keep going. Now, we're gonna skip ahead. He's been arrested. He's been hauled into a religious court where they blindfolded him, mocked him, spit on him, stripped him naked, pull out his beard, then take, take turns punching him in the face while he's blindfolded saying, hey, if you're a prophet, who hit you? If you are who you say you are, who hit you? And then he's just silent. Then they take Jesus before the Roman governor, his name's Pilate, because the religious people outside the court who want him dead don't have the authority to carry out the death penalty. So they, they tell Pilate, Jesus claims to be a king, and that's the death penalty, you have to kill him. So we pick up, Jesus is standing before a, the governor of that part of the country, his name is Pilate. So then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And that's a Roman tradition where they just rip all the flesh off your back, all right? So Pilate had Jesus flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple like robe of royalty and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they also slapped him in the face. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more, here it is, he was afraid. So, so time out here. Whatever Pilate, the most powerful man in the country, other than Caesar in Rome, he's the man. But whatever he's gonna do next, it will be motivated by fear and insecurity, which is the opposite of confident. He's, he's afraid. He's afraid of the, of the people. He's afraid of, of their opinion of him. He's afraid that word will get back to his bosses, that he's not a, a good governor. He's looking out for himself. He's worried about other, what people will think. He's all full of insecure pride. Whatever he does, he comes from insecure pride. So we pick this back up. So Pilate went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have, I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And you gotta get this, because Pilate is basically saying, dude, work with me here. I'm in charge, right? Just say it isn't true. Just tap out and, and I'll make all of this stop. I'm important. I'm powerful. I can make it all go away. Look at Jesus. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above, you're not in charge here. In another place, Jesus said, said it like this. He was talking about his life. He says, no one takes it, my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, my life down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 
So in the earlier story, Jesus, in Jesus' story, confident humility looked like this. Because Jesus had confidence in who he was and why he was there, he could perform the lowest beneath his position job without hesitation to achieve a higher purpose. But, but in, in this part of his story, confident humility looks a little bit different. It looks like this. Because Jesus was confident in who he was and why he was there, he didn't leverage the power at his disposal to serve his own comfort or crush his enemies, even though he could have. So what Jesus demonstrates is this. When you're confident and secure in who you are and what you've been called and commissioned and given the authority to do, you don't, you don't have to get defensive. You don't have to defend yourself to your accusers. You don't have to power up and make it happen. You, you don't have to, to prove to anybody that you're right and, and they're wrong. You just have to do what God told you to do. You just have to do whatever it takes. Like, like I, I heard these two phrases early, earlier today that kind of sum up confident humility for me. And this is where we're gonna land in a few minutes. No matter what, no matter where. No matter what, no matter where. Be it the, the lowest act that, that pride might say, no, 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 don't do that. Or not doing the, the powering up or the big act that you're capable of to accomplish that compelling vision, that mission, that purpose that God has sent you to do wherever it needs to happen, no matter what, no matter, no matter where, I'll do whatever it takes. That's what Jesus did. So, so what would that look like for us if that was part of our story, right? So after Easter, um, Ben and I, we're gonna come back, we're gonna do a series based on a, a book of the Bible called the book of Proverbs. Now, a proverb, Proverbs is, is all about a, a concept called wisdom. And here's the definition of wisdom that we're gonna be working off of. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. The knowledge is information and data and, and you accumulate all this, this, these facts and stuff like that. But wisdom is taking all that and then rightly applying it. And kind of, kind of the gist of that is sometimes it's not a matter of right or wrong. Is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It, it's more a matter of given what actually needs to happen, is it the, is it the wise thing to do? What is it gonna help? In other words, I, I have, how about this? I, I have the vision, I have the conviction, I have the authority to do something. So right now, what would be like the wisest, most helpful, courageous action to take given the compelling vision that God has given to me. So given my life and what's going on, what, what would be the wisest thing to do? So here's what I wanna do in our remaining time. I, I, I wanna just throw out some, some observations and it may not apply to you and if it does, great, and if not, just blow them off. First of all, I, I wanna kinda talk to different groups of people. I, I wanna talk to men first, because that's what I do, all right? Although many of the things that I'm, I'm gonna address to each group aren't exclusive to that group, the truth can be applied across the board, okay? But I wanna talk to men. Old men, young men, married men, single men, I don't care, all right? All right. In, in our world and in our culture, at least here in America anyway, right? Due to biology or society, and you can say, well, that's right or that's wrong, it's irrelevant, all right? But the, here's the reality of the world. Most men have the physical or the positional or the financial power to make some people in their lives do or submit to what they want them to do. They have the power. 
Too, too often, men lead, if not by like all out physical intimidation, then by positional intimidation to, to use their physical strength or their financial strength or their social status to, to manipulate people, to manipulate women and children as well as other men so that we can get our way. We, we try to force people in our lives to obey us. And here's the reality, it works short term. It just never ends well. It's positional, powering up, manipulation. Men, we're guilty of it. Let me talk to the women in the room, all right? Too often, women lead by manipulation, by the giving of or the withholding of words or actions of encouragement and affirmation and worth. And I'm not just talking about the promise of or the withholding of, of sex to get your way, although it's way towards the top of the list, all right? I'm also including um, this gift and art that a lot of women have called guilt and shame. Like, you're breaking my heart. Or how could you do this to your mom? And ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Listen, to both groups. If, if the only reason that the people in your life follow your directives for their lives is because they're afraid that, that you'll hurt them or you'll withhold something that they, that they need from them, that's not leadership. It's it's tyranny, it's bullying, it's manipulation. And I would even say that we, we approach Jesus the same way. If the only reason that you follow Jesus is because you're afraid that if you don't follow him, you'll make him sad or, or mad. And then if, you, if he's mad at you, then you'll go to hell. At best, your relationship with Jesus is gonna be horrible and joyless. And at worst, it won't last. And eventually you'll tap out and, and, and you'll leave Jesus and go to hell anyway. I'm just being honest. There has to be something better than that, Right? So I'm, I'm giving scenarios out here. Let me flip the switch a little bit on this. So here's the thing. My tendency to do or not do certain things has, has little to do with what God might want to happen or even what's the wisest thing to do given what's going on in front of me. I wish that was what it was, but it's not. I, I would say this about myself, and maybe you can relate to this. Many times, sometimes unconsciously, I'll even say this, and this is kind of a huge aha moment for me as I'm studying for this talk this week. But, but sometimes, many times, I make my decisions about some courageous action and the main filter is, how does this make me look? Right, how does this make me look? For, for, I'll give you an example of this, right? And I might be the only one. See if you can connect to this at all. For example, I, 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 I like to be the hero. I like to be the rescuer. If, if you get stuck and you can't fix your problem, I'll come in and save the day. I, your bro, I'll give you the money. I'll, I'll find you the money. And if I can't help you myself, I'll find somebody else who can do it for you. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the power to fix your problem, I'll power up, swoop in and save the day. And everybody will say, and I'll say it publicly, but I'll get off on it privately. But I like it when everybody looks at me and goes, Jim, you're awesome. You're, you're my hero, you saved the day. You're a great fill in the blank. You're a great leader, you're a great pastor, you're a great husband, you're a great dad, you're a great friend. No, 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 no. I like it. But, but while I have intentionally shown that I have the power and position to make things happen for you, what I have unintentionally communicated to you is that I don't believe that you have any power. 
You don't have any ability. You're not strong enough to fix your own problems or run your own life. I've actually robbed you of the dignity of taking responsibility for your life so I can stroke my own ego. Uh, how about this one, if you can't relate to them? Uh, let me talk to you. Parents with kids still at home. Um, you have kids who continue to disregard your authority and your guidelines, your rules, whatever you wanna call them, when it comes to what you've told them to do in terms of certain activities or behaviors and substances, right? And they keep blowing you off. Yet you keep financing their lifestyle and their choices because, well, I just want them to like me. Okay, by the way, they do. They do like you. You're the bank. What's not to like? They just don't respect you. They're using you. And it doesn't stop once they leave the house or get married. How about this? Hey, let's talk about your adult children, all right? Your adult children keep making horrendous life choices and you keep paying their bills and bailing them out because, well, they're just going through a hard time. I know. It was a hard time, and then it was a hard season, and a hard year, now it's been a hard decade. You know why they're going through a hard time? It's because they keep making horrendous life choices, and then you keep propping up their bad choices by insulating them from the repercussions and consequences, which we all know is the only thing that will cause us to change. When the pain of our life gets, better than, it gets greater than the embarrassment of admitting that we're wrong and asking for help and making adjustments and doing the hard work moving forward. Now, listen, there are always times that we have to help our kids out, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an ongoing codependent pattern of propping up people in our life's dysfunction to make us feel better about ourselves. And here's my point, all right? You have a vision for your life, right? Your family, your marriage, your children, your friendships, your career. And in those areas, God wants to do something significant, more than normal, abundant. That's that compelling vision. So you, you, have, a, you have a relentless conviction. You say you really want to be used by God to see it happen and come to find out you have the anointed, you. God chose you and gave you the anointed authority to go and do it in your life or, in, or to help somebody else's life. But today, here's what I wanna go with. The wise thing to do is to call a time out and ask yourself, is the courageous action that I have chosen to take up to this point, as well, as well-intentioned as it, as, it, as it always has been, my question is this, is it working out the way you hoped it would? Long-term, big picture. It's making you feel good today. I'm talking about the whole storyline. Or are you refusing to do what God has told you to do because, well, you're too good or you're too important to do that. I know what God wants me to do, but that's not my job. It's not my responsibility. Nobody could expect me to do that. Something that humble. God's told you to do something, but are you passively playing the martyr or the victim to make yourself look good and not using your strength and power and anointed authority to actively pursue what God says is good and needs to happen in yourself and in other people? But you're so worried about what you'll look like. Are you using your position and your authority to force and intimidate people to do what you want them to do? Because if they don't do what you tell them to do, they'll be held to pay, so they better do it. How about this, are you using your power and position to make yourself look good? I'd like to be the hero, I'd like to be the rescuer, but the result is you keep on prolonging the problem that is stealing abundant life, not just from you, but from them. So let me just leave you with this. This is between you and God. 
Because Jesus had confidence in who he was and why he was there, he could perform the lowest beneath his position job without hesitation to achieve a higher purpose. So I wanna ask you this. Is it possible that even in this moment, God's Holy Spirit is telling you to take some courageous, humble action in some area or with some person in your life? He's telling you what to do. And the reason that you're refusing or unwilling to do it is not because you don't believe that it needs to happen. You know it needs to happen. But because your insecurity or your pride says that, well, I shouldn't have to do that. They should or somebody else should. Okay, then nothing's gonna change. How about this? Because Jesus was confident in who he was and why he was there, he didn't leverage the power at his disposal to serve his own comfort or crush his enemies, although he could have. Let me ask you another question. Is it possible that God's Holy Spirit right now in this moment is telling you to take some courageous, humble action step in some area of your life or with some person in your life, and the reason that you're refusing or unwilling to do it is because you are convinced that the only way for you to look good is you have to win this fight. You have to win this argument. You have, and the only way to win is by powering up and, and, and proving that you're right and they're wrong. Or by playing, playing the hero and saving the day. And again, it's short term. It's temporary. But you're just hoping that everybody will think you're the good guy. All right. So, so let, me, let me end with this and then I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song and we're gonna wrestle with this because this, this is pretty in our face today, right? So I want you to think of, think of one area of your life, one relationship in your life, in that area or, or that, that person in your life. It is a vital, most important piece of God's compelling vision for your life. They're a part of it. What do you need to do? What, what would you need to do? What would, what would you do differently in this circumstance or with this person, if your mindset was, no matter what, I'll do it. And no matter where, I'll go there, I'll go that low. No matter what, no matter where. What would you do different? And how might God use that? And does that, in the back of your head, the back of your heart, something's telling you that's what needs to happen if this story's ever gonna get better. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing a song, and, and then we're gonna, we're gonna make some choices, all right? So God, in this moment right now, we are, we are having a, a, a mental and a spiritual wrestling match with you. Because there's part of us, it's like that tug of war, we know what needs to happen, we know what ought to happen, and then there's other parts going, but I don't wanna do that, why should I have to do that? And God, of all the people that, that could have thrown at us, why should I have to do that? It was you. You didn't have to do that, but you did. Of all the people that say, well, why would I have to go there? Why would I have to stoop that low to, 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 to accomplish something? Of all the people that could have said that, Jesus, you're the top of the list, but you didn't hesitate. You let go of everything, and you went wherever it took, and that meant coming in our direction and doing whatever needed to be done, up to and including you laid down your life for us. And now you're telling us to, to get up out of the, off the couch or get up out of this chair or get up out of whatever room we're in right now and go do something different and new and humble out of a confidence that we're connected to you. And we know we wanna do it, but God, we're afraid. And so, God, 
we're gonna ask you to keep your promise. If, we, if we're willing to go do this, do you promise to go with us? As we walk through a valley of the shadow of death, do you promise that you will, you'll go through that valley with us so that we're not alone? Because we cannot do this on our own. We're just not strong enough. But if you will keep your promise to go with us, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes and we'll go wherever we need to go if you'll go with us. And I know your answer is yes because you've already proven that's the kind of God you are. This is why we worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.